is being passed around. Um, let me just give you an update on our, on our weekly panic attack that we're having as a world. Can I do that? Is that okay? Uh, so we are, uh, we're a people of hope. Amen? Um, we're also uh, a people who God has given the ability to make plans. And so uh, it's good to have a plan. It's good to have a plan. And so, you know, April and I have a pantry just in case we're stuck for a week at home, which often happens because uh, somebody's always sick at our house. Um, but it was strange. We went to Costco last Sunday and, uh, you know, my, my mom said, Andy, you should have just started coughing while you were in Costco, kind of staggering and you would, could have gotten anything that you wanted. But it was kind of nuts. I don't know, I don't know what happened, but all of the toilet paper is gone in Costco. Look, I don't know what y'all are eating, but like the whole county has the runs. Like it's bad out there. Like it's really bad out there. Um, so, so that's happening. Um, and then, and then we, we, you know, we thought, okay, well, you know, we should just follow what this CDC says to do, you know, like wash your hands and, uh, you know, if you're feeling sick, don't come. Just like any kind of influenza season, the remedies for this particular strain of influenza are no different than any other. Um, and the precautions are no different than any other. So I said to Jerry, our secretary, we'll find out if we can get some of that canned sanitizer for church. And so she looked on Amazon and six little things of hand sanitizer were going for $237. So we did not buy hand sanitizer. That's how, that's how good our stewardship is with the money you so generously give. Instead, we made some. Uh, and you can make hand sanitizer with... Uh, with rubbing alcohol and propylene glycol, it's really, really simple. And so it's all over the sanctuary or, and all over the, the church. Also, Jerry, our amazing secretary, came in and, and Lysoled and hand sanitized every single seat in the entire sanctuary. Um, so it's clean, and if it's not, that's your problem. It's your fault, not mine, okay? So, like, it's, we're good. Um, and I'm just so grateful because guess what you did today? You showed up. You showed up. And what that means is that, uh, is that you are a people who are, uh, who are believing that, that we can be non-anxious and lead in a time when the world is freaking out, that we can be thoughtful and careful, and at the exact same time, we can still be present. Amen? Amen. And so uh, I'm going to speak to the camera for those of you watching on YouTube or the church website. Come on, y'all. Like, what's going on? Get here. It's terrible, I know. Okay, so here we are in the uh, sermon series on the book of David. And today is the day you've all been waiting for. There are two stories that everybody knows about David, King David. They are Goliath and Bathsheba. Right? Those are the two big turning points in David's life, right? When he defeats Goliath, and then when he has a, a, his a horrible decision-making events with Bathsheba. But I want to go backwards one week to remind you of what happened last week. Last week is a story of David finding his best friend's son. That's Jonathan's son. Remember, Jonathan is King Saul's boy. So his son, Mephibosheth. Say that with me. Mephibosheth. Memphis, 
right? That's King Saul's grandson. And David finds him to do something absolutely incredible. And Memphis's story, Mephibosheth's story is our story, right? Mephibosheth was in this middle of nowhere. And in Hebrew, you say that by the word nothing, which is lo debar. That's literally the town Mephibosheth was in. It was a town called nowhere. And he wasn't living with any family. He is, he's got royalty in his blood, and yet he's been orphaned and he's alone. And all of that changes when the king finds him and brings him into his palace. And Mephibosheth will sit there next to King David for the rest of his life, eat at the king's table. David restores to him all the land that he did not deserve. David gives up his own land to give it to Mephibosheth. He's worked by people that Mephibosheth could never imagine would ever work for King David, and that's Saul's old helpers and friends. And Mephibosheth is granted riches and royalty and blessing and love for the rest of his days. And that's exactly what it is like when you get to know Jesus. A king of kings finds you. And he brings you to his side to love you and adore you from this day forward for all eternity to provide for you what you could never earn on your own. That's our Jesus. Amen? Amen. So David, incredibly, does all these amazing things. And then the very next week, he breaks half the Ten Commandments all at once. <laughs> and that's where we are today in Second uh, Samuel chapter 11. So let me just say this before we get going. I know that many of us in this room, we have a history with some sort of um, failure on our part or in our family's history when it comes to our sexuality. Um, stuff has happened to us. We've done things that we're not proud of. And I want, you to, I want to say this to you. Today's not a day of condemnation. Today's a day of hope. This is my story, right? My dad regularly exposed me to pornography when I was starting at the age of five. Right? That is a part of my story. Sexual abuse is a part of my story. That happened to me. Right? So things happen in life. And then we do things that we're not proud of in life. And I want you to know that today's a day of hope, not a day of condemnation. So can we pray? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Lord Jesus, we bind up and silence anything opposed to you, Christ, that would be distracting us, bothering us, coming against us, seeking to put us to sleep or to, um, or to somehow twist what's being said or the hope that we find in the gospel so clearly in this passage. Jesus, open our ears and our eyes to all that you have for us today. Quicken, awaken our spirits, Lord Jesus. Break chains off of us, set us free. We love you, Jesus. And all God's beloved, chosen, worthy saints said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so the, uh, here we go. Second uh, Samuel, chapter 11, verse 1, read with me. In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war. Okay, something's wrong right off the get-go, right? When the kings go to war, what David do? He mailed it in. Yeah, that's right. Now, this word sent is going to be repeated six, seven times in this story. And just like any time, um, 
The, the Hebrew people, when they wrote, they used repetition as a clue um, of what was important, right? That's why when we sing holy, 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 there's no bold and underline in Hebrew. And so they're using the repetition of a word to clue you in as to how much things really weigh. This word sent is going to be repeated over and over and over again. So we'll go into that more later, but just notice that now. Okay, so David sent Joab and the army with the king's men and the whole Israel army. Second sentence, read with me. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Why are they picking on the poor Ammonites? Well, if you read the previous chapter in chapter 10, what you would see is that the Ammonites got a new king. David was friends with the old Ammonite king. The new king, the guy's son who takes over, is suspicious of Israel, and so he recruits the Syrians, and they surround Jerusalem. Syrians from the Mount of Olives side, the Ammonites on the main gate. David and his army split up. Joab goes and fights the Ammonites. The Ammonites run away before Joab can defeat them. David, in the end of chapter 10, will pursue the Syrians through the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And, and then defeat them down on the plains of Jericho and win that battle. So now... David sends Joab out to finish the job. Make sense? Okay. Why did David stay home? Okay, we have no idea. Maybe he needed a vacation, right? What did you say, Bob? Stop it. Okay. Maybe he needed a vacation. Maybe he was tired of war. Who knows why? But David's going to get into serious trouble, and this brings up an important point. Ready? Here it is. J.D. Greer, author and theologian, writes this. Next slide. The way to successfully resist the enticements of this world's world isn't merely to have a strong will to say no. It's to be busy with a higher purpose. It's not always that sin is incredibly alluring. It's often that we're so unbelievably bored. Read this last line with me. We are not designed to live life on the sidelines. I mean, I think the main reason why David could stay home was because he could, right? Joab was an amazing military general. He could send him out with full confidence. By the way, David had this incredible special ops team called David's Mighty Men. And I first found this passage when I was in junior high in First Chronicles and it was like this amazing passage of how they're describing the commandos of all commandos, right? The elite of the elite of the elite. It's, this, it's absolutely spectacular. And so David's mighty men uh, can go do anything and win any battle. And honestly, David could take time off because his life was an incredible success story. For 15 years, everything that David had done worked. Now, can you imagine if for 15 years, everything that you did worked? I know, I can't string two weeks together, right? But, but can you imagine for 15 years, everything that you touch turns to solid gold. Businesses go like crazy. Marriages, fantastic. Children, wonderful. All the decisions that you make. People ask you, what should we do? You say, I don't know, let's do this. It turns out spectacular every time. Right? You're put in charge of random things that you could never imagine, right? You're just the redheaded stepchild shepherd boy that everybody forgot about 
that no one paid attention to, right? You grew up in, like, Santa Maria, right? <laughs> Seriously, right? You live in, I don't know, some, or Grover Beach, right? Like, nothing happens here. But you, all of a sudden, everything that you do, and all of a sudden, 15 years later, you're like your classmates look you up on Facebook, and you're the president! Like, what? You would think, after all that success, you know, maybe there's something really sweet about me. <laughs> like, I keep on making all the right decisions. Maybe, man, maybe I am really that great. And the danger that we face in seasons of blessings is that we can forget God. We assume that all the great things that have happened to us are because of only us. This is why um, when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us our bread, our daily bread, that actually comes from a verse in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, and it goes like this. Read this with me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth, but give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? That's why Jesus, has teaches, Jesus teaches us to pray this way, right? For those of us who don't have enough daily bread, we're asking for it. But for those of us who have way more than daily bread, it's so easy to forget that all of it comes from God. Amen? Amen. Do you mind if we pray what we just learned? Let me show you what the prayer looks like before you agree to get into trouble. Here we go. Lord Jesus, protect me in all seasons of my life that I might be the kind of person who relies on you, who seeks your face in good times and bad. You are my peace. You are my hope. You are my provision. You are my success. Would you like to pray that with me? Could we do that? Ready? Lord Jesus, protect me in all seasons of my life that I might be the kind of person who relies on you, who seeks your face, in good times and bad. You are my peace. You are my hope. You are my provision. You are my success. Never forget that transformation in the Christian life is so simple. It's bad out, good in. Okay? Whenever you learn something in Scripture, take a moment to reject the lie that you've just been believing and receive the truth out loud. When we do that work, giving the Holy Spirit permission in our heart to do what only He can do, and you're not going to feel any different right now, go to sleep, and then the Holy Spirit will work on your heart so that He gets the glory, not you. Isn't that great? So simple. Let's keep reading together. Here it is. 2 Samuel chapter... We only got through one verse. We're going to be here till 2.30. It's okay. <laughs> Ready? Here it is. Let's read. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. That phrase, one evening, is actually late afternoon. And it could be translated just as easily, once again, in the late afternoon, David got out of bed. How's David's vacation going? <laughs> what time do you have to go to bed at, in order to wake up at four? To do some math, that means I'm going to bed like 5, 6 a.m. David is partying like a rock star. All of his friends are off at war. Everybody else is off at war. And David has just 
flip the entire rhythm of his world upside down and is staying up. And so he gets up out of bed and he walks around and he's looking for trouble. Ready? Bob, you're right. Read this with me. Here we go. And from the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. I said beautiful twice, but I think that's kind of the idea. Right? Now, David is on top of a roof. Everybody lived on top of the roof in the spring and summertime because of the heat. But what David is seeing is not somebody else on their roof. David is seeing a woman in a courtyard in private taking a bath which means that he has the ability to look over his roof and down at the courtyard, which means the courtyard is next to the palace. And who lives next to the palace? David's friends. People closest to him. Not strangers. Now, David's engines have officially started. He could have gone to one of his 11 wives. That's right, 11. Like Tyson was talking about 10 kids. If you got 11 wives, oh my gosh, right? Wow, 11 wives. But he doesn't want um, what he's looking for, supposedly. He wants conquest. Verse 3, read, read. And David sent, oh, there's that word again. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, read this with me. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David uses his power to Google the woman next to him and says, who is this? And set the servant, so he's not interested in keeping it private. Go find out who she is. The servant goes and finds out she is. What does the first thing the servant say? It says three really important things. Number one, the servant just doesn't say, oh, she's a woman. The servant says her name. The servant humanizes this woman, and her name is Bathsheba. The second thing that the servant says is what? The She's a daughter. You know, David's a dad, and he's got daughters. If you're a dad and you've got daughters, they're, so, they're, like, they're more precious than anything. If I had a daughter, Levi, she would be more precious than you. Not because you're less than, but it's just the way it is, son. I mean, they say they, they love them equally, but no, it's not true. Daughters are precious. So the servant is trying to tell David, this is someone's girl. This is someone's baby girl. And by the way, that someone's name is Eliam, and you know Eliam because you've had dinner with Eliam. Oh, and who else is she? She's a, a wife, and not just any wife, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And if you go and read in First Chronicles, you know what you find out is that Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. For years, David had fought side by side with Uriah. He was captain as part of the special ops teams. They were in battle together. They pledged fealty and loyalty and service to one another for their entire lives. David finds out that this beautiful woman is 
daughter to a man he knows, wife to a, to a brother in arms that he's part of, not a stranger. Now, the connection here to things in modern society is so obvious, I have to make it. This is modern day looking at pornography. What pornography does is it dehumanizes women. It turns them into objects. It ignores their stories and their sorrows and then uses these daughters and wives as objects. Studies show that over 90% of women who find themselves working in the adult industry have been sexually abused and assaulted all throughout their life. They come from broken homes and horrific dynamics where their only value is to be used. And the servant is telling David, this is who this precious woman, this precious daughter, this precious wife is. Will you see her for a human being? Let's find out what David does. Well, you know the story, right? Then David... And there's that word again. David uses his power to send a messenger to get her. And when the king calls, you answer. And she doesn't know what he wants. But then it's obvious. And David uses his power over her to get what he wants. He Harvey Weinsteins her. It's, I know, it's in a... It's horrible. That's exactly what happens. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Hmm. So, back in this day, um, 15, oh, no, where were we at? Uh, 3,500 years ago. Um. Uh, Blood was um, associated with being unclean, and that was the idea so that you would not get infected from someone else's blood. Um, and, uh, but let me just say this to every single woman here. Uh, your body is the most amazing, wonderful, incredible work of art because your womb enables knuckleheads like me to be born. And none of us would be here except for you guys. More specifically, you ladies. So you are not unclean. There's nothing about your body that is unclean. It is all good. And I so wish that we lived in a world and a society where there was no shame about being a woman and about what you um, endure and go through uh, for everyone's sake. So all the men are now going to say, Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, David then gets what he wants and sends her away. Verse 5, read this with me. This is the only time Bathsheba speaks in this story. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. See, the only reason why Bathsheba has a word here is actually quite significant. You have to remember that these are details that only David would have known about, right? 
Nobody else got the personal note from Bathsheba that said, I'm pregnant. No one else knows the details of exactly what happened except David and David alone, which means that David is working with whoever scribe is writing the story to get all the details correct. So why does David want Bathsheba to not have a voice except here when it comes to I am pregnant? And I think David is trying to tell us this. I didn't see her. I didn't care for her. I didn't even care to hear her voice. I didn't want her. I didn't even associate her with a name or a family. She was just a body to me. This was about me. This is the depth of my depravity. And when she told me she was pregnant, my first thought wasn't sorrow. It wasn't care. It wasn't kindness. My third, first thought was, how do I make this go away? Next verse. David immediately puts forward a plan to make this go away. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Of course, Joab follows the orders. And what David is going to do is really simple. He's going to get an update from Uriah about how the battle with the Ammonites are going to go. And then he's going to send Uriah off to his beautiful wife and hope that nature takes its course. And then no one will know that Bathsheba is pregnant. We're over a month away from the initial affair, by the way, which means that David has a lot of time to think about all of this. David has a lot of time to listen to his own heart nagging at him. David has a lot of time to repent and say, I'm sorry. You and I have so many opportunities to resist our temptations, to apologize when we fail, to repent from our sin, to enter into accountability to seek counseling, to pursue healing and wholeness in our heart and our relationships. The longer that we delay this process, there's only one outcome, which is that we will keep on making the same mistakes. And I, I've done this and I hear this all the time. Well, I'll stop doing X, Y, and Z when they finally do A, B, and C. Wrong. This story is not for the person sitting next to you. This story is not for the person that you hope will finally get their act together. This is for you. Do not delay. Do not delay repentance. Do not delay making that apology. Do not delay seeking a way for your heart to become transformed and set free. Don't delay. So Uriah shows up. He comes back from battle, verse 7. And David says to Uriah, verse 8, go down to your house and wash your feet. This is not a euphemism. This is a cultural tradition of actually just washing his feet. But Uriah would have been sweaty and horrible from battle. And Bathsheba would have been like, son, you smell, right? Come on, baby, take a bath. And then David's hoping that it would work out from there. Um, but this is, the last sentence is really gross. So Uriah left the palace and a, king from, and a gift from the king was... Ew. David sent chocolate-covered strawberries and champagne to Uriah and Bathsheba. There's a new word I learned this last month. It's called skeezy. And it means kind of gross and uncomfortable and awkward in a sort of skeezy way. This is skeezy. Does that make sense? You can add that one to your vocabulary. Everybody under 30 has known about this for 10 years. I'm just now finding out. Skeezy. There it is. What is David doing? Well, David is thinking that he can get away with this. 
David is thinking that somehow he can cover it up. It's been a month since the affair, but he thinks that he's got it under control. He thinks that he can outrun the disaster of his sin. No problem. Let me tell you a story. Um, during the volcanic eruption of Mount Vesuvius, here's modern-day Mount Vesuvius, Vesuvio in Italian. Um, this is on the Italian coast, right next uh, near the ankle, heading towards the toe of Italy. In AD 79, the Roman metropolis of Pompeii and five other cities were utterly destroyed by the, by the, by the volcanic explosion. This is not a picture from that time. This is a <laughs> screenshot from the movie Pompeii. It was about 10 years ago that no one watched. Um, and what had happened when Pompeii exploded, which was quite, quite sudden, this, this column of 600-degree molten lava, ash, gas, rock, um, the column of 600-degree death rose for 21 miles in the sky. And then as it descended, it... It, it descended in a 30-foot wave of hot gas and ash and molten rock and stones, completely destroying five metropolises, the largest of which is Pompeii. And what happened when that, because it was so sudden and, it, and people didn't even have time to run, uh, there's these ash casts of people that you can go and see where they're inside their houses and they're just trying to hide. And as that 600 degree ash comes through and gas, their, their bodies light on fire and then they're immediately cast in the volcanic ash swirling through the air. And there's over 1400 of them in Pompeii that you can go visit today. Now, there was one guy that they found, our archeologists have found, that did not get consumed by the volcanic 30, volcanic 30 foot tall, 30 feet tall. Didn't get killed by this. He outran it. Dude was fast. <laughs> he, just, he booked it, ran, 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 ran. And he didn't get hit by uh, the, 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 the stones coming from Vesuvius. He didn't get immolated by the lava. He didn't get killed by the toxic fumes. He ran and ran and ran um, until, as a building collapsed, he had a wily e. coyote moment. It's kind of funny and terrible all at the same time, right? I mean, this is awful. But this is exactly what happens with you and I and how we, and David, when we think about hiding our sin, we think that we're faster, smarter, and better than everyone else, that we can outrun the volcanic explosion of our sin, and we make this mistake. Don't pretend. Don't pretend that you can hide what you're doing. God always sees it, and everyone else will always find out. Why? Because sin is death. And death stinks. Did you know that? Death stinks. And you can't Febreze it away. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. And I know that you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, what I'm doing is, I mean, like, it's just between me. Like, it's just about, like, I'm not hurting anyone. Like, it's whatever, right? It's just, like, this is what I do on, you know, like, to quit bothering me about eating a package of Oreos all at once, right? It's not, 
It wasn't double stuff, it's just the regular kind. Like, just <laughs> calm down, Andy, right? Like, it's just one bag of chips, like, right? It's just that spinach artichoke dip from Trader Joe's. It was, it was there and then it's gone. Stop bothering me, like, why are you, right? Like, so I binge on Netflix, like, what's the deal? Like, this is not, like, so I looked a little bit, but it wasn't too, it's not like I'm just paying for it. Like, we do this, it's just, so we try and protect this thing and what are we protecting? We're protecting death. And what is that death gonna do? It's gonna eat at us and kill us. Not all at once, it's never its plan, never all at once, always slowly. So you don't notice it. Until your spouse or your loved one or the person, people in your life wonder why it is that you're not fully present. Until they wonder why it is that you keep on reacting defensively until they wonder why it is that you just can't let go of resentments. Why you stopped praying meaningful prayers. Why you're more inclined to escape and to take a step back rather than to engage. Look, uh, like there's only two ways to deal with sin in scripture. One, you just run. That's totally legitimate. Run away. The other one is to kill it. Now David could have gone to war. Instead, he put himself in a position of temptation. David could have resisted temptation. Instead, he gave in. David could have seen Bathsheba as a person. Instead, he used her. He could have repented face to face with Uriah. He didn't. He tried to hide it up. And, and that's what happens. The moment that we think that we can handle our sin, our strategy of handling sin becomes worse and worse and worse than sometimes even the original offense itself. Does that make sense? Like if you want to make my wife mad, do this. Marry her and then not tell her how you feel. And then when she calls you out on it, lie. She says, Andy, I'd ra much rather you just be mystified as to how you feel than lie about it to me. But that's what we do. Verse 10, David was told Uriah did not go home. Oh, like, why won't this guy cooperate with my plan? So he said to Uriah, dude, how, you just came from war. You gotta be like dirty and tired. Why didn't you just go home? Go see Bathsheba, right? And here Uriah is gonna just, it's like the Holy Spirit is speaking direct truth to David through Uriah. Let's read this together. Um, 2 Samuel, verse 11. Ready? 11, chapter 11, verse 11. You read this with me. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Repeat after me. Oh, snap. David would be like, I mean, if someone said this to me, like, Oh, yeah, that's what I should have done. <laughs> Instead of sleeping with your wife. Yeah. But instead of repenting, David tries to hide it once more. Verse 12. Listen, just hang out one more day. We'll have drinks. I got a new bottle of tequila. Verse 13, at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. No, just a little bit more. Come on, you've worked hard for this. A little bit more. It's like, I, I know how to fix this. 
And then he sent him off his way. And what did Uriah do? <laughs> but in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. You know, Uriah's hammered, right? So he's like snoring away, can't be woken up. He's effectively dead to the world. And all the servants are going, wait, who's this? That's Uriah. Who's he? He's married to Bathsheba. That's the girl you got, remember? <gasps> if I was a servant in that room, I would not sleep the entire night. Because, oh, feel how gross that would be? Like the king made me participate in wrecking this guy's life, and now he's sitting there loyal, not going home. Blew. Well, you know what happens next? David is convinced that repentance will lead to disaster, that honesty and vulnerability will bring ruin. And now that David is, he wants to solve this problem once and for all. So if he can't hide David's pregnancy from Bathsheba, then he'll hide, sorry. If he can't hide, David's not pregnant. It's true, it didn't happen. If he can't hide Bathsheba's pregnancy from Uriah, then he'll hide Uriah. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and... Oh, here's that word again. Sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, read with me, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. What? This is his brother. This is like the special, like, they're seals together. They're Navy seals together. Like, they're army ranger. Like, what, what in the world is David doing? But he doesn't want Uriah to find out. And the easiest way to do that, instead of apologizing, is to kill him. Where did David learn how to do this? Saul. Because remember what Saul did? He sent David out to battle and told same general, Joab, <clears throat> put David out front where the fighting is the fiercest. You remember what David did? He won. He killed everybody. He and his mighty men with Uriah by his side won the battle. And then as they're walking back home, right, they're victorious. Katy Perry is right next to David and says, like, I got this really cool jam I want to share with you. Like, Saul killed his thousands, but David is 10,000. What do you think, right? And then it was on like 104.5 forever, right? That drove Saul nuts, right? That's what happened the last time this. So David goes, how do you kill a guy and make it look like you don't really want to kill him? Well, this is what Saul did to me, but he failed to withdraw all of my friends because with my friends I was invincible, but alone I could be killed. And so that's what David exactly did to Uriah. I mean, how nuts is this that David wants so much power and so much, he wants, he's turning into Saul and he doesn't even know it. It's absolutely horrific. So why is David telling us these details? Why is David telling us things that only he could know because he's the one who's writing the note in this awful Machiavellian scheme? Why? Why does David want us to know? Why is David telling everybody about what he's done? Here's why. 
because the power to overcome sin and temptations happen when you speak out loud what it is that you're tempted to do. Now, sometimes what that means for you and I is like, hey, man, I'm tempted to go numb out or to go use or to go drink or to go look or to go be angry or fearful or manipulative or I'm tempted to hide or withdraw. This is what I'm tempted to do. Jesus, I don't want to do that. Help me. That's a great start. But this is what I do because I have a master's degree in sin and I'm working on my doctorate. And here's how here's what I do. I have to say out loud every single one of the steps. That's how I overcome and resist temptation. So I'll do this. So Levi and I and April and Jonah are sitting watching a movie the other night and we're eating ice cream and I can only eat a little bit of ice cream, right? And I had my ice cream and that was great. And April hands me her bowl and says, I can't finish this. And it's full of ice cream, right? Not a choice. <laughs> Bob, I would have done it. See, here's the thing, Bob. If I had said this, Listen, I don't need more ice cream. I'm trying to fit into my pants. But more importantly, God, you've been telling to me that you're my comfort and not ice cream or brownies or whatever. And so it's actually important that I would say no to this right now, to trust you in this moment. And plus, every time I eat ice cream, I have gas for eight solid hours. And I don't want to kill my wife in her sleep. And, and I get a horrible stomach ache if I eat a lot of ice cream because I'm lactose intolerant, y'all. But I live off cheese and ice cream. There's a reason why my stomach is distended. I only have one ab, right? And so if I had said all of that out loud, you know what would have happened when I held that bowl of ice cream? I could have said, mm, no thanks. And some of you need to say that. Some of you need to say, Look, um, I'm moving towards this, this strategy, which I've used in the past to numb, to comfort, to withdraw, to take care of my emotions, and it's no longer working, and all it's causing me is shame and heartache and grief, and I don't want to do that anymore, because every time I move towards that, then I'm reinforcing two things. Number one, God can't comfort me, and number two, this can, and it's killing me. And when you say it out loud like that, all of a sudden, the temptation goes away. But you don't just stop there. What you also do is you say, because who I really am is a child of God, and whose I am, I see, I belong to the king. Amen? Yeah. That's how you deal with temptation. You speak it out loud. Read this with me. Next slide. Temptation turns into sin when you keep silent. And temptation is overcome by victory when you speak out loud the truth. Skip two slides forward, John, all the way to verse 27. The story ends like this. Uriah dies, you know what happens. And the story ends with this. Read this with me. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. The very next sentence is this. Read it with me. The Lord. Oh boy. 
See, David has been sending, sending, sending things, same, having people sent to him, sending messages, killing people, affairs, ruining lives, all because, and God's never mentioned once in this entire story, and the only time God is mentioned is at the very end, that this grieved his heart, that it disappointed him, that it broke him, and then what does God do? God does not drop a boulder on David's head. And he doesn't rain down ash and cloud and smoke to destroy him. Every single one of us, when we sin and messed up, past and present included, you are covered by the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven. You are loved. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen? Amen. What does God do when you mess up? He sends you someone. He sends you Jesus. Who died for you. He sends you Jesus who, who grants to you everything that you've earned so that when you're at that place of feeling so empty and lost, you would know that you're still loved and you're still enough because you're covered by his precious blood and then granted everything that's credited to Jesus' account. <sighs> See, the way that we the way that we wither and, and destroy sin and temptation in our life is to remember what Jesus has done for us. We speak out loud what Jesus wants to do through us and what he's doing in us right now. And we speak out loud the truth. This is not something I want because I belong to the King of Kings. I'm rescued by him and loved by him. <coughs> And you can do this. You're doing it already. Keep on going. Amen? Amen? Lord Jesus, bless and seal all the good things that we've sung and prayed today. Bless my friends. Thank you for them. Once again, Lord Jesus, I just pray against all the plans the enemy has to condemn or to um, confuse this message and your word. Thank you for the good news, Lord Jesus, that you sent you volunteered to be sent to us. And God, I pray for each person's heart here today that you would honor the prayers that we've spoken in faith. Give us the kind of heart that would pursue you and seek you in good times and in bad. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. would you stand for the benediction? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's beloved children said, Amen. Have a great day. Everything that you eat in the fellowship hall is calorie free.